just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic diseases. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. Yeah. Welcome, Dr. Guy, to <laughs> Thank you. the Holistic Savage Podcast, where we like to discuss all things related to functional health, consisting of functional medicine, functional fitness, functional spirituality, and functional psychology. Love the shirt, my brother. So how are you doing today? Representing. Right here. <laughs> I'm not, but it looks good on You're you. You're not representing, yeah, but I got you. Um, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. It's great to, to be on the show and on the podcast, and thank you so much for having me. And um yeah uh excited for today absolutely i you know the the podcast is totally just like a passion project where you know it gives me an excuse to like hang out with my friends and have cool conversations about all the all the cool stuff we do in our industry so we've had a lot of amazing people on the show and you know certainly uh in 2019 we got connected where fun fun story you were on stage giving a talk about the gut brain connection while i was stuffing my face with some smoked salmon <laughs> in the back of the room and i was like who is this guy i like this guy you know and then now just vibe tribe ever since yeah yeah i mean we've done we've been at, a, at what five or six shows at this point together yeah just like everywhere we go it's like oh, yeah yeah, what's going on? I, I look forward yeah. to the day that like all of us, you know, we we get we get Carrie and Tina and you and me, and, like we get the the squad. Yeah, and then yeah, we just take over as squad. yeah. So it's funny, Tina Moore and I go way back. She was actually one of my first mentors in regenerative medicine. Like okay, with like almost six years ago at this point. Oh, that's sick. So and then Carrie Jones and I, we did a podcast too. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love our our group. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've got a tight circle. We just had uh, Tina on the show. Not that long. we haven't released the episode yet, but um, it was awesome, awesome really? recording. That'll be a, a sick one. So yeah, we just got our squad. So Doctor Guy, you are a naturopathic physician, correct? Yes. Very good. So I figured, you know, we'll we'll probably cover kind of a broad, um, you know, area of topics today. But I know one of the things we wanted to talk about was kind of the the current state of the healthcare system, because obviously in today's world and with, you know, 75% of the workforce by 2025 is going to be made of the millennial generation. And I definitely find kind of the functional medicine movement is very much a millennial driven movement for the most part. But being a naturopathic physician, I'd love to hear you speak to kind of your observations on the state of things and where you feel like this is all going. We can just dive in, kind of see where this goes. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not in love with the state of things uh, currently. And I think that's why I, I go on stage and I speak. And that's why I spend generally quite a bit of time with each patient is just the education of where we're at right now from where we need to be collectively, I think, is pretty far off. Um, I think the difficulty is that medicine has become such a pro-disease model 
rather than a preventative model. And in the pro-disease model, I just what I see is that there's just a cover-up band-aid solution all the time. Um, and it's so prevalent with uh, the allopathic mindset. Uh, and that's, by allopathy, I mean just general conventional Western mindset. Um, and, and that's not bad when you're dealing with emergencies. But what I find is it's really bad when you're dealing with chronic disease because chronic disease is multifactorial. There's multiple systems at play. Um, and there is, you know, that you mentioned functional spirituality. And, and I think that's a really important topic. I just came back from, a, I just did a 10-day um, meditation yoga retreat in the Bahamas, which that's like sick. changed my brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel unbelievable. Um, and so, you know, I like what it's two weeks of the average rest of, of the average American it gets two weeks off. Uh, a year yeah you know Europeans, south americans they get something like eight weeks is the average so we're chronically overstressed our food supply is is you know compromised significantly nutritionally we're deficient in, in a bunch of stuff and then they're just putting all this stuff into our food and, and mm -hmm. it's kind of driving us crazy a little bit um so one of the specialties that I have is I talk about the microbiome. That's what mm -hmm. I lecture on. And so what we're seeing is that the microbiome is so prevalent in controlling all of the things, all of almost all the biology in the body. Um, it has a correlation, if not a direct, uh, a direct aspect of control. So, you know, it, as naturopathic doctors, we've kind of been since the beginning of time saying like everything starts in the gut, everything starts in the gut. And that's what we're finding to be true now. And now the medicine's coming out and we have a long way to go. Um, but yeah, as far as like the general health care of and the general state of things. Yeah, we're, we're kind of living in a tough time right now, I think. Um, I think there's a huge pendulum swinging um, across the board politically, spirituality, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, overall holistically, uh, and, and a big mindset shift. And so as you mentioned, millennials, I think they are really good at understanding the difficulties of what's come before them and able to shift away from that. And so, yeah, I hope it continues moving in the, in the direct uh, in the correct direction, uh, forward. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah. What, what's your take on, uh, on where we are right now? It, you know, it's, it's a big thing. And I remember, you know, when I was a little bit younger, cause you know, I am a young guy in this industry. Uh, and when I was kind of first breaking into it, I was probably maybe like a little bit more immature with my message of it. Like, ah, oh, you know, the system's broken. Da, 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 da. And, you know, one of my friends, um, Dr. Adam Miller, who we had uh, on an episode in season one, and he's a medical doctor, MD, and, and like a dentist and like 50 other things. He's, he's an impressive dude. But he, uh, the way he was really describing it is kind of a um, uh, identity crisis. And I was like, you know, that's a that's an interesting way to look at it and a, probably a good way to put it. Because on the one hand, you know, I just recently went to uh, a medical doctor's office with with my mom because I was, you know, there to advocate for her and and help bridge that gap. Because, you know, patients, the the average individual, the average client, the average patient, they have no uh, no idea what they need. 
you know, they, they just don't know other, well, I need to lose weight, diet and exercise. And it's like 70% of the American population is overweight or obese. And almost 50% of the American population is pre-diabetic or diabetic, you know, and it's just, you look at the, the d- disease statistics and yeah, we are in a, um, you know, chronic disease epidemic. And certainly the the technology we have with drugs and surgery never ceases to blow my mind. And the majority of the science that we know, you know, gosh, you know, I open my textbooks and the the amount of um, physiology, biochemistry that we that we know and have just mapped out step by step by step, it's mind blowing. And most of that really was uh, discovered, you know, through funding from big pharma. So it's like, okay, well, you look at it that way, but you know, like I just produced this super cool um, self-healer guide to mold illness. And I cited 122, you know, research papers in this thing. And it's like just all this evidence. And of course, you know, you, you go to the medical doctor and, oh, I think I have mold toxicity. And, you know, they don't believe you. That doesn't exist, even though like they use mycophenolic acid, mycotoxin uh, pharmaceutically for organ transplant rejection surgery. And We've studied it for biological warfare. So my, my point being, um, yeah, when it comes to a lot of the, the functional alternative sciences, microbiome and, you know, uh, how microbes or, or, you know, any other functional topic plays into chronic disease. And it's like, it's just largely ignored by conventional medicine. And I have seen some positive changes. You know, I, I was pleased with the uh, appointment that my mom experienced with her medical doctor. She was pretty receptive. Um, but nonetheless, we have so far to go and in the functional space. Okay. You know, a lot of patients, uh, feel failed by conventional healthcare. They're, they're tired of going to doctor and making their health complaints and, Oh, well, do you want something to make you feel better? SSRI or, you know, whatever it is. So then they turn to functional, but then in the functional space, it's, it's hard to know what kind of practitioner you should look for because everybody's kind of working on something different. So what do we do? The difficulty with functional medicine too, is that there's, there's, there's a certain aspect where we hold MDs to the highest standard of understanding the body. Right. And then what I see consistently, and again, there are a lot of brilliant functional MDs out there. Um, but what I see a lot of the time in my office is somebody comes in and they've had, you know, thousands of dollars worth of testing, which I don't think is necessary. Um, most of the time, usually it's much more simple than that, but that, you know, these doctors will do a deep dive. They've done the IFM, you know, the Institute of Functional Medicine courses, which is eight weekends and it's great. It's great information. Um, but if they've never had true mentorship and understanding, uh, a functional way to look at the body, not just functional medicine, they are just running through a still a, an allopathic mindset, right? So they're still like, okay, there is a problem somewhere. Let's, instead of giving a drug, now we're going to give a vitamin or we're going to give a mineral, right? And we're going to plug that in and we're going to hope the whole system kind of like, it's like they're looking at like, like breaks in the physiology and they're hoping that by adding a little bit of something where that break is, everything kind of repairs itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's, that's not a multifactorial way to look at the body. 
it's not a systemic way to look at the body in, 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 a, in a true holistic fashion. And in that way, I think that I think oftentimes patients are led, you know, that they're, they've spent a ton of money, they've exhausted all their options, they don't know where to look, they don't know what to do, and then they're feeling kind of poor. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough way to navigate it unless you're really trained in, in knowing which practitioner to go to or, or knowing what's wrong with you and where to look for the answers. I, you know, I can't even imagine how potentially stressful it is for the patient to be like, where do I go? Who do I look for? What do I need? You know, and doing it in a cost effective way. And, 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 and then our insurance systems, you know, they, they barely cover anything. Um, so yeah, it's a tough, we're in a tough place. Uh, in the world right now Mm -hmm. um you know i think all we can do is kind of do this kind of stuff and and educate as many people as possible uh i think stuff like this is the way to can to create change and hopefully we reach a bunch of people uh and and teach them what maybe what to look for what to think about in terms of their own health and Mm -hmm. absolutely Uh, i'm really happy to hear you say that because I find myself saying that all the time where I find, um, you know, I mean, I'm pretty well uh, exposed, uh, you know, within this industry. And I do still see just too much reactionary. Um, it's, it's, I, I feel that functional medicine is still a little bit too uh, reactive, not proactive yeah. enough, a, a little okay. still too. And you literally said that. And I find myself saying that all the time where it's like, okay, you know, conventional medicine, like run whatever conventional diagnostic testing, diagnose the disease, like, oh, you have irritable bowel disease, we treat with anti-inflammatory steroids, we don't look for what caused the inflammatory right. disorder. But then like, okay, functional medicine. All right, so we're going to do, you know, it, first off, they charge you an arm and a leg, we're going to do 1000s of dollars of tests, it's hard to get into the office. And then the only, it, it just kind of feels like, okay, well, instead of running conventional tests, we're going to run functional tests instead of giving pharmaceuticals, we're going to give pharmaceuticals and supplements. And it's still just like throwing pills at a piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, that's not holistic. That's not functional. And, yeah. and, you know, so it's like, we need to make functional medicine more functional. And, you know, that's where, <laughs> like you said, the greatest medicine of all is teach people how not to need it. And so this yeah. is where obviously we're all kind of rallying together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have to be, you know, more like, for example, I was just recording a module for my course and it's kind of like the difference, the, the paradigm shift of seeking out healing opportunities versus looking for disease. And, you know, um, I, the example I gave in the recording was talking about, you know, uh, clostridia overgrowth where, okay, well, there are ways of assessing clostridia overgrowth. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you have an acute clostridia infection that's, you know, causing pseudomembranous colitis and you're, you know, shit in blood or something, but it's like, well, let's maybe not wait for it to become that. And, you know, if we see evidence that you have an overgrowth of potentially pathogenic, you know, bug, uh, and there's clinical correlation where you have symptoms and health complaints that we can connect back to that, you know, why don't we do something proactive, like take some spore biotics or da, 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 da. So totally agree with you. And it's great to, you know, like-minded people. So then, you know, let's go and run with that where yeah. you mentioned the microbiome. Yeah. So wasn't it Hippocrates like a thousand years ago that said all disease begins in the gut? So yeah. 
Yeah. Something about that. Yeah. Um, so I'm finding that's the case. Um, and so I specialize. So now because I speak for microbiome labs, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are hearing about me and then they're coming in for pretty complicated gut stuff. Um, I'm finding a, an interesting correlation. Um, so let's talk about it here because I think a lot of people are suffering from it and I, and I don't think it's being talked about as much. Um, and that is the direct correlation between anxiety and gut issues. Um, what I see m above most other disease states is that when people have gut stuff, they become hypochondriac is the wrong label, but it's like probably the closest way I can write. They're so concerned about their health state and they're living on levels of anxiety and they, and for some reason it's really hard to calm their mind down a little bit. And so let's talk about the physiology of that a little bit, because mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. So, um, so a lot of people might be diagnosed with SIBO. I think SIBO's you know, really prevalent in society now. Um, at least I see it all the time. Patients are coming in, they're like, I'm diagnosed with SIBO, I'm diagnosed with SIBO, I'm diagnosed with SIBO. Um, you know, a lot of the times it's an easier fix than they think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of the time it's a really difficult fix. And I think the difference is that sometimes the mechanism of their specific SIBO is a little bit beyond our understanding of what all of the different microbes in their specific gut are doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm not necessarily for testing the microbiome. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I know Microbiome Labs did just push a, their first stool test analysis, so I'm really excited to see how that's changing between the other models. But generally what I find is I run you know, a microbiome from, you know, there's tons of different functional medicine companies out there. I'll run a microbiome stool analysis. I'll get this entire report back. And then it's like, okay, well, I don't know, you know, how does that change now based on what I know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I can go after specific bacteria, but we don't know enough yet about like what all the different bacteria are doing collectively. We have a general understanding that like, there are groups of bacteria and that in those groups, if they're elevated, they're more prevalent in these disease states. So then you correlate the symptoms of the patient with what you're kind of seeing in the stool analysis and it's confirmatory mainly, right? But then what's the major change, right? And so mm -hmm. I just go back to what I do with everybody anyway to, you know, um, I guess like optimize their gut microbiome from what I know already so that stool analysis doesn't really, it's, it's just, it's a confirmant, you know, it's a $400 confirmatory test at that point right. or non-confirmatory, but then still, if it's not confirmatory, I still know that they're having gut issues. So it's like, okay, well, you know, unless there's pathogens that are so visible within that stool analysis, that's really the, you know, that's really where the majority of the situation, you know, if like, I'm like, okay, you have an actual infection or a parasite. Now we kind of have to go after it. Mm -hmm. So from a, from a testing perspective, I think a lot of patients are like, great, I want to test my stool on a stool. But that's not, I don't think that's as big of a bang for their butt. You know, it's like more mm -hmm. of an understanding of like, what are people experiencing from their gut? And then what are we going to do about it? Right. Mm -hmm. So, 
So let's talk a little bit about the microbiome. So the microbiome, for those people who are listening, um, if you're a little unfamiliar, it's basically a collection of microbes or gut or bacteria within your gut. And you have a microbiome in every single sort of organ cavity in the body. So you have a bladder microbiome, you have a vaginal microbiome, you have an oral microbiome, you have your gut microbiome, right? So you have a very, uh, you have a different microbiome for every single type of cavity or opening where bacteria live and collect. And then those bacteria have very specific physiological um, functions so that they, they all do a very specific thing. Um, usually very symbiotic, meaning in combination or um, beneficial for the body, right? So we work together as two different systems collectively for the same purpose of creating health. What happens is we take in pesticides, chemicals, toxins, antibiotics, and we alter our microbiome from a healthy state if we were born vaginally and breastfed with like a healthy supply, right? To initially inoculate a healthy microbiome. If we are already born in a healthy state, we then have all this advent of like high sugar, corn syrup, uh, you know, everything that we were living in and then all this toxicity as well. And then that alters the microbiome. Um, and it starts to degrade certain aspects within the gut specifically. And then our microbiome shifts from a healthy state to a disease state, right? For as a general basis. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is we have the onset of chronic disease, usually because inflammation starts there and then spreads to the rest of the body. So we could, I don't know if you want to get into LPS toxicity and metabolic endotoxicity. You do. You want to let's get do it? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> right. This is a rabbit hole kind of podcast. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So, um, so bacteria have uh, on the on the outer layer of the bacteria on the cell membrane, they have something that's uh, called LPS. Okay. And so, LPS stands for lipopolysaccharide. And so as bacteria, because you have trillions of bacteria in your gut, as they die, they release this LPS out of the, uh, you know, into the, into uh, the lumen. So basically into the free flowing space in the colon, um, where, you know, if you eat everything pr pretty much goes into the lumen. Right. And so, um, I'm explaining that poorly. So, uh, so basically the whole of the gut, you know, offset, like, Help me out. How do I explain the lumen? <laughs> uh, you know, so it's like, you know, we've got we've got all the the bugs and critters and we've got our mucosal barrier. And then the actual uh, I, the analogy I always use from teaching my students is um, like uh, like we have the, the castle and, you know, we've got the, the inside of the castle where everybody's living. And then there's like the moat that goes around the castle. So that's like our mucosal barrier, that chemical yeah. That's good. And slime. So then it's like, you've got all these invaders. So let's say all the bacteria in the LPS. And it's like, well, they got to make it past that, that mucosal barrier. And then they have to get over the castle wall, you know, but, but that happens, right. Where we, we get the breakdown of the mucosal barrier. We get the, you know, degradation and destruction of our, you know, epithelial tissue that and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, shit's getting across into the, the bloodstream systemically. Mm -hmm. 
That's a great analogy. So, so <laughs> as you're as you're eating food, right? So that will break down, and then you have probably a better, like a good, on top of that, a good analogy is like you probably have like these bridges of safety mm-hmm. to allow stuff into the castle and to keep the bad stuff out. Mm-hmm. So that moat, that castle wall, starts to de- degrade, and then what happens is you have these uh, this LPS which will start to permeate or or enter into the castle or your body without the proper protection or without the right binding. And then what that does is it creates a massive innate inflammation within the body. And then that creates a lot of generalized inflammation. So what I explain to patients is their chronic disease can always be traced back to uh, one of the major causes, which is LPS or metabolic endotoxemia, which means that there is this toxin that's invading the body and then creating this overall generalized inflammation. And then depending on how their body responds to that is where they experience the problem. Mm -hmm. So whether that goes into joints to create arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, or it shifts their immune response internally so that they then become autoimmune, or it changes the neurochemistry so that Things like I said, mentioned before, like anxiety, all that stuff, you know, the, the way that their nerves are processing or, or it affects their blood brain barrier, which then creates a whole sort of neurokinetic and neuroinflammatory cascade. So depending on how their body reacts to that inflammation dictates how they're going to experience disease mm-hmm. and what disease state we're going to label as this is the major disease that you're experiencing patient A. And so then the conventional world is going to do, okay, so we know that it is a um, autoimmune disease. So we're going to give you things to regulate your immune system rather than treating the cause of it is like, so that, so, so good. And I like this castle analogy. So let's run with this for a little bit. So, um, you know, instead of saying, okay, we need to, we need to fortify our walls a little bit better. So we stop getting this attack all the time from this LPS. We're just going to change the way we're working internally. And so the entire time you're creating, you're never getting to the cause of the problem. And I think that's why patients are so frustrated, you know, and it's not the allopathic doctor's fault because they've been, that's how they've been trained, right? They've been indoctrinated into this incredibly overpowering mental brutal i I have a family of doctors and they're brilliant right these like they they excel incredibly well at exams and they're kind of they're kind of doing all the things that they've always been told and this is all the literature states right and so then they get into this incredibly rigorous incredibly rigorous mind-bending program Mm -hmm. and then they come out and they have a certain amount of ego usually because they've been told that you've done all of the hardest work probably in the world out of you know most professions this is the way things are Mm -hmm. and um and it's very difficult at that point to undo a little bit of that training and start digging into well why is that the thing the way things are so, um, so as we know more about the microbiome, as we understand the causative nature of chronic disease, 
as we understand the role that nutrition and diet and lifestyle have a play with the factors that cause chronic disease, then we can start changing. Um, which again is why I don't run thousands of dollars worth of testing because a lot of the time it's like, I just sit there for 90 minutes and I run through all the questions that I have with a patient and they tell me everything. And then it's like, okay, well, we know that these fundamental systems like your sleep, your eating, your, your drinking, your exercise, all of these systems are a little bit off or so, one of the systems is off significantly and it's altering the other systems. And then you've had an advent of these toxins and these glyphosates and then your mm-hmm. mucosa or your castle wall is not strong anymore. And so you're allowing this disease state to kind of permeate into the body. Let's correct that stuff and then restore some of the basic systems of the body and you know, people feel right as rain usually. Absolutely. So I think as brilliant as medicine has gotten, we've also ignored our own capability of healing yeah. so much so that, you know, pharmacology takes over physiology. That's always how I explain it to my patient. When you start taking a pharmaceutical, you're taking over the physiology of the body. Mm-hmm. You're not allowing the body to repair its own process. And usually it's a cover up to what's really happening. So then another symptom comes on as a warning sign of like, okay, well, you've changed this physiology, so we can't show you the symptom anymore. It's like a crying child, right? Like you're not getting, you're not feeding the baby. Like you might be doing all this stuff, the baby's still crying. You might put a pacifier in, but it's going to find other ways to tell you it's hungry. Right. So that's kind of, yeah, right? So, so. As, as generalized chronic disease, as generalized gut health, as the microbiome is concerned, the, the basic um, and fundamental reason is that you have this LPS leaving the gut microbiome every time you eat, and then that creates this internal innate inflammatory cascade and this internal sepsis situation, internal mini sepsis. Yeah, yeah. And then... And then that internal sepsis is creating this immune reaction. And then depending on how that immune system is happening, then you have inflammation because inflammation is the direct result of an overactive immune system. And then you have pain. Inflammation results in pain. So um, I forgot who it was. I actually think it was the founder of chiropractic. Um, I don't know if it was, I think it was D.D. Palmer actually, who initially said that inflammation is the primary cause of all chronic disease. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, and, and that's true. I think yeah. that's very true. And I think we now understand the mechanism of how that is. And I think we can just hope that this permeates into our culture a little bit and people understand. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We're getting there and, you know, we're, we're covering a lot of good things because, you know, certainly, uh, again, uh, Hippocrates nailed it, you know, a long time ago and, <laughs> And, you know, it is what it is where, um, you know, humans with our with our monkey minds, we think we're very smart. And so then it's like, oh, we can, you know, it's almost like pharmaceuticals are kind of the ultimate biohack. Like, oh, we make this right. substance that just directly alters our, you know, and, and it's the ultimate, um, ultimate display of instant gratification. And now big pharma kind of right. runs the world. And, 
Um, but, you know, backing up to like, totally agree with you on the stool testing. I was, I was glad to hear you say that because certainly that's something I feel strongly about is, um, you know, stool testing. And, and that's kind of not, I don't know. I don't want to, it's not like I'm picking on anything or anybody in our industry, but obviously it's like, well, it's our goal to, to make the industry better and more efficient. And so, you know, it's like new tests come out every single day, but that's exactly what I'm seeing. The nuances of stool testing where it's like, all right, well, back up. Like our, our understanding of the microbiome is in its infancy. infancy. So we, we have so much to learn. And so the problem with these kind of diagnostic stool tests, especially with the, the fancy DNA PCR technology, where it's like, oh, we can measure the DNA of all these different strains. But it's like, yeah, but there's no standard model of what a microbiome should look like. And everybody has a totally different microbiome. And we don't fully understand all of the mechanisms of, you know, like there, there are some very well-established uh, principles of, you know, uh, greater microbial diversity is better, you know, correlated with better health. Okay, well, that's pretty well established. But when we get down to the species level of, uh, you know, this test is saying, well, you have high levels of this bug and low levels of this bug. It's like, what does that mean for the patient? What does that mean for the client? We don't know. We don't know. So that's why, like me, I, I've really got. We, gotten know, we know collectively that there are yeah. groups of those bacteria that are correlated again in those specific disease models. Yeah. Right. Like we know, like you want a high level of acromantia, basically, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. As an example, overall, because that's a very protective bacteria, and if mm -hmm. you see low levels, then it's a problem. So there are nuances, but across the board, you're right. Like we don't know all the different strains in combination with other strains yet. And then right. so there are thousands of strains and species and like how, what are they doing individualistically in the, in the patient in quantity and how is the patient's entire organism basically? Cause it's an organism, right? It's like this massive organism and we just learned about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, 2010 was the end of the microbiome project. Right. Yeah. So like we're 10 years out of of like just starting to be like, oh, my God, we missed this massive, <laughs> massive controlling entity in the body that has so many physiological like implications. Like we're just we're just penetrating into like the understanding of the microbiome. So, yeah. It, Go on. You're, no, you're exactly you're exactly right. We have a very complex ego ecosystem uh, within us. On us, you know, we have we have more bacterial cells in us and on us than we have human cells. And yeah, you know, that's where with all my clients, I always tell them from day one, like, hey, gut health is not a protocol; it's a lifestyle, and it's yeah. a lifestyle of gardening. You know, it's and I think um, again, kind of some of the the maybe faulty practices in the functional medicine world of starting to try to treat specific strains or, you know, chasing the bug. And it's like, well, look, I mean, every time you run that stool test, you know, it's, it's kind of like every time you go fishing, you cast your line, you're going to reel something else. So this time it's a minnow, this time it's a shark, this time it's a stingray, this time you didn't catch anything at all. And it's like, Okay, but what does that mean clinically? And so that's that's why I've gotten away from stool testing. I'm really big on organic acids and blood chemistry because it's like 
I don't need to know every single little species. I need to know the overall microbial load and be able to see how that's affecting your physiology. You know, if, if you like, why are your neutrophils not elevated? Why are your white blood cells low? What, you know, okay. so yeah, it's, it's nuanced. Um, and, and that's where, you know, we don't always need a test to be able to really kind of coach up, uh, like good gardening practices. Right. And now I am very excited for microbiomes. I already did mine and I'm waiting for the results. And I looked at a sample report and it definitely looks, you know, so I guess we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but, um, let's tell us about what are some good gardening strategies for a, for a healthy microbiome guy. Um, You're an expert gardener. Yeah. Yeah. Try to be, um, it, you know, it's tough. I, uh, it's tough to it's tough for me individually to really recognize that the majority of foods you're not you you can't you can't do right yeah. um but but this is what I tell all my patients because they come in with tons of food sensitivities, and I go once we create that perfect castle wall again you should be able to eat the majority of foods as long as they're organic, right? As long as you're not putting this stuff that's going to break down that wall, right? You should be able to eat almost everything. I mean, there could be specific things that you might just never be able to eat again, you know, and that might be just the way your gut microbiome from the day you were born. Maybe it was, you had some antibiotic when you were six months old and it changed that castle wall permanently. And now you can't do you know, things like lactose and dairy and stuff like that, right? Or in worse situations like eggs or, right, like beans or legumes or whatever. So um, as long as, but but there's so, you know, when you go out to eat, the stuff that's put into the majority of the food is, is toxic. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough even when you go out to restaurants and you think it's clean food, you know, it's not usually no, not many restaurants are doing organic and, and then the rest of the country outside of places like LA, New York and Chicago, it's much more and you know, Portland or Seattle or something, it's much more difficult to get real, true quality food. Mm-hmm. So um, it's easier in bigger cities. It's way, it's way more difficult in smaller cities, but there are tons of options. And so um, it comes down to the necessity for me. Usually if people are suffering with symptoms, they understand the need to change. And I think that's the difficulty is that that's important, but it, it also comes from general people who are in good health also need to learn that there's a shift that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So to answer, that's a long winded answer to your question, but to answer some, some basic stuff, um, I'm a big fan of time restricted eating. Um, I really like it. I really like, uh, doing like the 12 PM to 8 PM protocol. Mm -hmm. So, and the reason I like that is because of that LPS toxicity. So when you eat your bacteria turnover, meaning that they replicate, they recycle, they grow new bacteria. And so out of that recycling of bacteria, you get more LPS into the lumen of the gut, which creates that inflammatory problematic issue. When you're fasting um, for 16 hours a day, your body is able to start putting all of its um, energy into the rest of the body rather than to the 
to like this attacking the moat and castle wall scenario, right? Like you have more resources, more resources to go around the body and correct the physiology of other areas that might need help. Um, so the body's able to heal and do its healing properly, especially, you know, if you're getting a good amount of sleep in that healing restoration without that onset of like all this inflammation and like the reactionary uh, cause of the body fixing what you're basically putting into it, it's able to come in and heal the rest of the body. So I think it's really incredible. Time-restricted eating, I'm a big fan of. Um, I'm a big fan of keto in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people have questions on keto and if it's beneficial or not. I don't think it's a good lifestyle. I think it's a good therapeutic diet. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on the literature, what I've been talking with patients about, um, you know, I, I think that living in keto for three to six months is, is amazing. I think it changes a lot of the inflammatory pictures in the body. I think you burn a lot of the inflammation. I mean, fat is incredibly inflammatory. And, uh, what I've seen personally is like, so I was 208 pounds. I'm like 185 now. This is over the course of the last couple of years, I've just been like living a better lifestyle and cutting down on And what I noticed in my body is it's incredible. Just 20 pounds of fat is insane for creating inflammation, anxiety, that kind of picture. And reducing that, I feel more limber, more limber. I'm sleeping better. I'm feeling better. I have better relationships. Um, and that's kind of what I tell my patients. Even just 15 pounds of fat, you know, so many patients, they don't think that's really problematic. If they can get that off, they're going to notice a huge difference. And in, in time-restricted eating is one of those the, a great way to reduce or eliminate uh, excess fat in the body, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, and keto. So if they want to do keto for three to six months and then move on to like a time-restricted eating, I really support that. Um, and then usually I give them a whole host of stuff to take for the for the gut. Um, make sure they're eating a balanced diet. Uh, make sure they're, you know, not eating a lot of inflammatory grains. Um, you know, the five major foods, corn, soy, dairy, uh, sugar, and um, what's the last one? Grains. Grains. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they avoid those foods, at least in the interim, I usually do do some sort of food sensitivity test because I want to see how their body is reacting. I take them off those foods in the beginning. Um, and then I give them a whole host of products to kind of restore that castle wall. So anything from Megaspore probiotics to a lot of the microbiome products I use, um, depending on what's going on. Uh, and then I'll use a lot of herbals um, for restoring the mucosal degradation. I use DGL. I love DGL. Mm-hmm. DGL is incredible. Aloe, right? And then and then downstream, like things like turmeric, bioavailable turmeric, if there's a huge inflammatory cascade. But really, it's about restoring the mucosa and then changing their... And then... Um, so I use Nystatin. That is a pharmaceutical that I like. Um, uh, Manuka honey or garlic or aloe or allicin, depending on what's going on. So, you know, it's complicated because, it, you know, patients hear about this and, and I want to be able to be like, oh, just do these few things. But it's so individualized to what they're experiencing yeah. um, and what the problem is. And so 
one of the things that we didn't talk about, I don't know if you want to go into it, yeah. is is SIBO. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. You want to talk about SIBO a little bit? Let's do it, yeah. Let's do it, okay. Um, <laughs> so what I'm seeing with SIBO, and I don't know how much you're seeing this, I don't know how much other doctors are seeing this. Um, I've been in, involved in a lot of the SIBO seminars. Um, at residency, they were doing a ton of SIBO stuff. I wasn't involved with them at that point, but um, all of the major SIBO players, uh, at least in the naturopathic field, I've been following and kind of understanding what they've been talking about. And um, I talked to Kieran a lot about this, and he kind of mentioned this at the at the microbiome symposium. He touched on it a little bit, uh, and that is SIBO's being diagnosed a little too soon before we understand the problem. And, and, and this is what I mean. A lot of times patients will drink water and they'll instantly be bloated. That's a huge symptom that I hear all the time. I drink water, I get bloated. Or I have a little bit of food and instantly I get bloated. Well, that technically cannot be SIBO, right? And that's the majority of the patients coming in. It's rare that you hear a patient saying, it's not rare. I mean, it, it happens too, but it's more rare that I'm finding, at least myself clinically, is that patients, they're coming in and they're not saying, okay, about 45 minutes after I eat, then I get bloated in the descendant for the day. Mm-hmm. That's more class or even an hour later, right? So the food has to come into the stomach. It has to be metabolized, digested. It has to go into the colon, the small intestine. And then the bacteria need to eat on it. And then the byproduct of the bacteria eating the food is gas. Mm-hmm. So when you have, so SIBO, for those people who don't know, is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So that means that in the small intestine, you have this bacteria overgrowth and creates this massive amount of bloating because too much bacteria, too much improper bacteria is eating this food. And then its byproduct is gas. And then there's a couple different types of gases. And depending on those gases, kind of clinically tells us which type of bacteria, because you can't test for strains of bacteria in the small intestine. The stool analysis only tests in the large intestine or or usually mostly just the rectum. So you don't really know. So then you do a breath test and it'll tell you the type of gas that you're secreting. And then that gas again, will tell us this more likely, these are the type of strains. And we know that based on the gas that they're secreting, we know kind of how to kill them or reduce their numbers a little bit so that the system becomes a little bit more. So in a general SIBO model, that's great, right? Because we're like, okay, if you are having bloating and issues 45 minutes to two hours after you eat, you know, do these kind of things. Uh, The conventional model is to give them rifaximin Mm -hmm. usually, which is an antibiotic for the small intestine. And then that'll kill all the bacteria. Um, but what's, what's happening is that patients, at least what I'm seeing is that there's two things happening. They are incredibly anxious that we touched upon originally. They're incredibly anxious. And then they're getting bloating upon the instant that they put food in their body. And that technically cannot be a SIBO. That has to be an issue with the stomach and potentially the gallbladder. So you have this delicate anatomical area of the body where you have the stomach um, duct um, or the pyloric sphincter comes into uh, the top of the what's called the duodenum, which is 
the canal, and all of these things kind of like enter into that same area. Mm-hmm. So you have the pancreatic ducts, which release all your pancreatic or or people take digestive enzymes. It really the pancreas releases these digestive enzymes into the same area where the gallbladder will release its bile, and then you have this food that's been um, acidifying in the stomach that permeates down. And so in this very small canal, you have like three or four things coming together. And that if that system then becomes problematic, you're having almost an instant reaction to the ingestion of food mm-hmm. or water. I find that that's much more difficult to treat. Um, I find it really problematic because uh, there is a whole system that goes into play. So birth control, for instance, has a big indication with bile. Mm-hmm. And bile is an antimicrobial yeah. uh, and a fat emulsification system. So it, it helps you break down fat and absorb fat. Um, and it also will kill poor bacteria. And so if you start to change your gallbladder issue, that starts to, I think that's, I think there's two systems that are, are happening. I think you're having a hydrochloric acid or a fat um, or an acidification issue, which then creates a different type of alkalinity within that area, which changes, I think, what's happening with the microbiome. Then you have potentially um, a problem with the gallbladder and the release of bile, and then maybe even a digestive enzyme issue so that food isn't being digested properly. All of those things are creating a very poor system for uh, regulation within the top of the colon. It's called the proximal bowel. So that's really the issue that I've been seeing clinically a lot. I don't see it being talked about too mm-hmm. often. Yeah. Um, one of usually with those patients I'm doing, I'm trying to get them off pharmaceuticals. I find that a lot of those patients are on pharmaceuticals. When I get, when I can get them off pharmaceuticals, they seem to do better. And then I really need to restore bile flow. Things like ox bile are great. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them a lot of cologogs or liver movers. Um, you know, things like dandelion, um, um, psyllium husk is really good for continuing that bile flow because it binds uh, fiber, that kind of stuff. Like, so you want to focus on, you know, uh, helping the liver and the gallbladder. And then I, a lot of times I give them bitters because that'll increase the hydrochloric acid system because most patients think that they're too acidic. Um, I find that they're either way too acidic or not enough acidic. Mm-hmm. The symptoms look the same. Yeah. Um, so if they're not enough acidic, then we give them bitters, and then that seems to regulate their hydrochloric acid system a lot better. Um, it closes oftentimes that uh, lower esophageal sphincter, which causes heartburn uh, when that sphincter isn't working well enough. Most people are not even talking about the pyloric sphincter, even in our world. Mm-hmm. I'm finding that that's very problematic in a lot of patients. I think that needs to be discussed a little bit more. Um, And then you have this, like, so you have this acid system and then you give them digestive enzymes potentially and and trying to correct that issue. Um, So I talked to a very intelligent SIBO doctor and she, what she was doing, which was interesting, is she was testing people. She was sending all her patients to do the Heidelberg um, 
uh, test that tests your acid system in the gut. Mm -hmm. And what she was noticing was there was a bile backflow into the stomach. So instead of bile coming in and going down the duodenum, it's, it's moving upwards and going through the pyloric sphincter back into the stomach, mm. which is really interesting because that's going to change your hydrochloric acid system. And what that's showing us is that there is over so much overgrowth of bacteria and that basically the drain is... So for those people who are not anatomically aware of what's, what I'm talking about, basically it's a drain. I'm talking about a major drain at the base of the stomach where all these systems kind of come together. And if that drain is clogged, you're going to get an overgrowth and a backflow of, of different things such as bile into the stomach, which is going to further permeate and create further problems. So this proximal bowel issue, I am finding incredibly prevalent right now. I'm mm -hmm. finding a lot of my patients are coming in and that's where the issues are. Um, I don't know. Are you hearing, are you, are you talking about this? Are you hearing about this? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing all this up because I definitely do think, uh, SIBO can sometimes be overcomplicated. Uh, and you know, a little, a little IBS, a little SIBO, a little, uh, or, or a lot, you know, bloating, distension, you know, 45, 60, 70 minutes after you eat. And, um, you know, that's, that's usually relatively easy, you know, get some, some, uh, immunoglobulin, some binders, some probiotics, maybe a little okay. biocidin, like it, it's okay. usually, or, or antibiotics. Yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention biocidin. I use biocidin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's usually easy enough, but no, I agree The and I think the bile thing is a, is a big part of it. And so I, I'm very liberal with my use of, um, ox bile and, and hydrochloric acid. Cause as you said, you know, a lot of people that might have acid reflux and GERD, um, a lot of times they, they don't have enough stomach acid and, and I, there's so much fatty liver and biliary stasis going on. Um, and so, you know, with kind of bugs and detox sort of being my thing that I focus on the most, um, you know, the bile flow is so crucial, right? Cause as you said, it's, you know, it's a fat emulsifier, it's an antimicrobial, uh, we conjugate all of our toxins into the bile. So, you know, focusing on that enterohepatic recirculation and the bile flow, um, and so like something I use a lot is, uh, phosphatidyl choline. Yeah. Um, you know, right. think about like how many people are, are on statins, right. Where they're cutting off their liver production right. of cholesterol. And, you know, a lot of people are, are methylation imbalance and phosphatidyl choline being one of the major products of methylation, right. which, you know, it's such a, it's, it's, you know, if you drink it, it's such a nasty thing. Cause it's, it's very, uh, viscous and it's like, but that's what makes the the bile, you know, viscous and able to flow through the tubes. Right. So I do. I and look at how many people get their gallbladder removed, right? right? You know, and those people are just like walking recurrent SIBO forever. So yeah, I oh, totally agree, and yeah. I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah. Um, and I do. I think that's an area we need to like. What's going on further down? I think is relatively simple. I feel like we've got that pretty well figured out. But I, I totally agree, and I'm glad you're bringing it up with because yeah, right in that duodenum, there's there's a lot going on. We a got going on. the the, yeah. the chyme coming in, and the right. pancreatic dumping, and the the bile flowing, and, and the, so there's three major things that if any one of those is slightly dysfunctional or some combination of, and yeah, I think that can be a major problem. 
Yeah, it's uh, I think, you know, and I'm not hearing enough about it, unfortunately. Uh, it's not being talked about. I think it will. I think most people are, are going to because I think they're still so obsessed with like SIBO. Right. Yeah. And so but unless you're but I don't hear it. So so this is the difficulty is I hear these doctors and they're like, oh, SIBO, just give them refaxman and they're done. Like they right. right. It's an easy correlation. It's like, but yes, but they're not investigating further. They're not investigating into like, is your gallbladder, if it's out, how are you, how are you getting the bile, right? Because so, so bile for those people who don't understand that it is still created in the liver. So it's not that you don't have bile if you don't have your gallbladder. It's just the gallbladder is the storage of bile. And so what that means is when you eat fat, it releases this enzyme called CCK. And then that secretes, it kind of pumps out the bile into the intestine to help you when you eat fat it's like a system it's like a checkpoint system so and then and then in the conventional world it's like oh the gallbladder is an issue take it out right oh take that out cut that out it's like what are you and then the gallbladder has this crazy microbiome too the the gallbladder microbiome which is incredibly important because again it's another cavity in the body so we got to stop chopping stuff out of people a little bit. People have to be a little bit more careful when they get stuff removed. And for those people who have had stuff removed, it's okay. But then you have to, you know, maybe take an ox bile when you eat food uh-huh. to give your body the bile it needs to emulsify the fat and then create that antimicrobial response. So, um, yeah, I think that's a decent explanation of of like the the proximal bowel issue. So I. I don't know if we, I hope that's enough information for those people watching to understand the complexity of the situation, but also understand that there's a lot you can do to help you uh, feel better. And it's not necessarily taking pharmaceuticals, which are overriding the system, but it's to help your natural organ systems use what they should, they should be secreting properly that might've been um, improperly or improperly functioning to create the right functionality so that you can, you, you heal properly. Yeah. So, so it's a systemic issue. Chronic disease is a systemic issue arising from the gut. And when, when the organ systems function better collectively, that's when we restore health. Um, and we didn't even talk about hormones (laughs) (laughs) for another day, probably hormones are, 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 you know, 50% of what I do because, uh, so important, right? I mean, they, they're messenger signals that created so many, and so many people have hormonal issues, right? Um, so majorly important. And then I, and then peptides also, we didn't even touch on peptides. So, uh, so maybe we'll have another one, but hormones are, uh, are also very cool. Um, uh, you know, worth, worth a investigation into. Um, people reading about this or hearing it's one of those, you know, I, that's, uh, something I'm pretty keen cause you know, definitely pretty much everybody in our industry really agrees. Like, yeah, you know, the, the gut's pretty much starting point. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the, the gut microbiome, it's really ground zero. And so like when I'm training my pra- practitioners, I always try to kind of create this, this sort of scale or hierarchy of intervention of like, okay, if we're trying to improve the health of an organism, step one, the environment of the organism, step two, the lifestyle and behavior of the organism, step three, you know, okay, then, you know, more, uh, supplementation, other types of, you know, therapeutic modalities, step four, 
uh, pharmaceutical step five, you know, surgery and sort of like, all right, well, let's kind of go in order here. Um, and, you know, so it's all the, all the basic stuff and people don't like, you know, hearing the basic stuff constantly, but it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're stressaholic, you're not sleeping, yeah. you're drinking tons of caffeine, you take ibuprofen. Cause it's like, you look around and, and unfortunately, um, and you touched on, you know, fat and fat being very inflammatory and everything. It's like, well, yeah, all these people are, uh, like, you know, people, people need to understand it's like, okay, well, our, our phospholipid membrane that makes up the, the membrane of every single one of your, you know, hundred trillion cells in the body. And it's like the, the fat that you're ingesting or, or food that you're ingesting, uh, is going to dictate, you know, what, what type of fatty acids are in, in that cell membrane. And ultimately, you know, when you have all these people that, um, you know, high sugar diet, high, uh, omega six diet, high, high fat diet, all, all these things. And it's like, they are literally, well, they're, they're overweight and not just that, but all of that fat mass primarily is palmitic acid and arachidonic acid. And it's just like gunpowder, you right. know, waiting to go off. And then they all have hoard, you know, you, when you start looking into microbiome sciences, you very quickly start realizing uh, you know, that it's like everything about the standard American lifestyle is a gut destroying one. And like you said, when we have all of this endotoxemia, we have all of this endotoxin driven inflammation, and we have all this gunpowder, you know, just sitting in the cell membranes, poof, right. you know, so it's, right. it's funny how like, you know, we're, we're getting into all the mechanisms and stuff. But when you just kind of look at the big picture, it's like, oh, well, it's kind of a simple equation. Um, and you know, I think the, the, and that's where I think if the vast, if, if the whole nation just went, um, you know, kind of keto primal paleo, like just eat real food from the earth, right. get lots of sleep, you know, right. manage, manage your stress, right. uh, and then support the gut microbiome. But, but then, yeah, as far as hormones, um, you know, it's, it's kind of both. I definitely, and I'm sure you see it too, where it's like, I do prefer to, you know, work on kind of gut and detox related work, but I also like to do that in conjunction with hormone modulation because, you know, I mean, I, there's a lot that we need to learn, but even, you know, the hormones alter immune function, you know, and it's like, well, the microbiome really regulates immune function. So I, I definitely see if we can kind of attack it from both angles, you know, if we can do some uh, hormone modulation and, you know, run that Dutch test, work on the, uh, improving the health microbiome and, and doing our gardening strategies. Now, obviously making sure that we're not losing sight of the big picture of environment lifestyle like that right there, that's like 90% of cases. And, you know, yeah. there's those 10% that are difficult and complicated, but for the rest of the 90%, it's actually relatively simple. Yeah, it's not that complicated. Oh. Yeah. And oh. instead of like doing crazy deep dives and spending thousands of dollars of tests, you can, yeah, usually I run a Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> I run basic blood work. Yeah. Um, in my basic blood work is apparently extensive, but I think it's basic. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I'm like, we need all these tests. And people are like, that's a lot. I'm like, it's not that but that gives every system of the like that that's a true right 
Yeah. Um, and it's so funny to me when like doctors will run like CBC. Yeah. Like four tests. I'm like, what is that telling you? Like, that's just such a small snippet, but um, yeah, but I love blood work and and I do that often. And you're a hundred percent right. Like when you put the major components together, the body does what it's meant to do and that's to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a stronger picture at play now, which is so important. And that is people are, attempting to find happiness mm-hmm. right now more prevalent in our society than ever before i think as a collective we especially millennials right like yeah. we are happiness is um the major driver i think now mm-hmm. amongst people right like people are not saving as much they're eating out more, they're going out more, they're being more social. Um, So I think we're attempting to find happiness and and happiness is uh, such an important part of, with, you know, of lifestyle. If you have a proper lifestyle, you're going to be happier. If you exercise more and you meditate, right, and you calm that monkey mind down and you have some sort of spiritual practice and you have a community of people, there's going to be an achievement of happiness and calmness in the body, which is going to further perpetuate more healing and more response. And and I, and so I was just traveling. I, like I said, I did a 10-day meditation and then I went to Colombia for 10 days after that. Um did a really nice trip. (laughs) And what I find with the Colombian people is they're so much more calm. Mm. You know, they have this brilliant, first of all, they're not on their phones every two seconds. You never see them on their phones. They're not getting this like crazy dopamine electronic response all the time. They're not overworked. They're full of community. They're full of family. They're full of this love. Um, and they they navigate through the world at such a less stress point. You don't ever you don't ever hear them yelling, you know, losing their minds, honking their horns, um, you know, running to the next meeting, grabbing a quick burrito or burger, right? Like you see a much more calm state of mind. Right. And what what I notice is a much higher amount of happiness just as a general perspective between cultures. And I think as Americans, we're in a tough place. Yeah. I think Americans are in a tough place right now. I think we're politically torn. I think we are spiritually torn. I think we're, we're isolated in a community. We, I, from each other, you know, there's a big fear factor between people. I think we are, we're given all these toxins that make us anxious. We're given this lifestyle of perpetual work and no play. Um, we're separated from each other. And I think it's really important for us to come together. I think it's really important for us to take some of the more priority of what does happiness mean and, and calm our brains down a little bit from a meditative standpoint and finding a true practice that's supportive for us. Um, I think it's really, really difficult to do that. I think it's incredibly difficult to find the time for you in this culture. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just, and I just hope we can get the word out. You know, I, I don't know 
what it takes for people to move to that next step of self-care and self-love and evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's as much of a problem health-wise as it is yeah. all this physiology. I could not agree more. I'm so glad you brought this up and kind of a good way for us to sandwich this convo. Uh, and, and this is where, you know, functional spirituality, kind of a little coin, uh, term I coined is to me a, a uh, you know, I, I really look as like, well, functional medicine is amazing. Don't get me wrong. However, <laughs> functional medicine is really just one uh, quarter of what I call functional health with the the fitness, spirituality, psychology, and, and medicine to me, yeah. like you have yeah. to have all four pillars and, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a spiritual gangster unicorn myself. <laughs> um, and, but you look at the scientific evidence, which first off monkey mind talk about like, do we always have to have objective evidence or what happened to our divine intuitive wisdom and uh, just our human intuition? But nonetheless, there is scientific evidence to point that, um, having community is important for biological health. Having a sense of purpose increases longevity. Okay. Loneliness has been identified as its own predictive marker of all-cause mortality. And so, yeah, we are experiencing the psychological burnout. And something that, just to kind of throw it out there, and something that I've started screening when I take on a new client is um, is orthorexic behavior where you know, we're so obsessed with, and, and this is part of my concern with functional medicine is functional medicine is a very easy paradigm to sell. You know, it's very easy to kind of make this claim of like, oh, all, here's all of your health complaints. Sure. We're just going to run a few tests. That's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars. Um, we'll identify the root cause. We treat that with supplements and then poof, you know, all of your, you know, concerns go away. Um, and I think that can be misleading because it's that's only one piece of it, but also this this uh, overwhelming sensation of orthorexia where people are getting very obsessed and neurotic. I can't tell you how many clients I've had come to me where you know they were patients with some kind of big names in our industry, and like, oh, I was at the blah 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 clinic, and you know the protocol's not working, and uh, I'm really freaking out and stressed out. I still feel awful, and uh, and my favorite question, why do you feel like you're not getting results, you know, and kind of turn it back on them and they just uh, deer in the headlights. <laughs> and, you know, I always kind of yeah. gently, do you feel that you express any orthorexic behavior? Well, what's that? Well, basically when you're stressing yourself out, trying to be perfect with a diet or a protocol or whatever is, you know, is the, and I think sometimes we can overcomplicate the, the physiology and by, don't get me wrong. There's tough cases. There are tough cases. Um, but nonetheless, a lot of times it's not like 90% of the time. It's not that complicated. It's not that complex. And I find the, the spiritual piece and the psychological, the psychoemotional, you know, healing trauma, Mm. Uh, you know, reprogramming our neuroplasticity. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of something that I'm planning on steering more into in 2020 is, okay, yeah, I can talk about mold toxicity all day, but, <laughs> um, you know, why don't we talk about like, what's right. your purpose? Do right. you have community? Right. Do you ever slow down? So couldn't agree more. And I, I, I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. And those patients I'm seeing as proximal bowel issue. 
a lot oftentimes, which is really interesting. Like those, those patients were consistently obsessive and like they can't seem to find regulation. I'm finding that physiology. And so I, I work on, on both things. So I do something called NET. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm, I don't know. It's one of my favorite emotional techniques in the world. It's called, it's neuroemotional technique. Okay. It's phenomenal for like tracing to the root cause of when emotions started. All so right, oftentimes yeah. with patients, I'll be like, let's see like why your plasticity is, why are your, your neurokinetics are programmed in this way also. So, you know, the body's amazing, right? Like we, we can sit here probably for 10 more days and yeah. just continue yeah. geeking out on all of these topics, right? Totally. Um, and I th- and, and it's, it's incredible. I, I, I think, you know, as, as patients, I, I think they just want to feel better, right? They're like, I just want to feel better. And I'm like, you're missing the journeying component of your own yeah. healthcare, yeah. which is an incredible teacher. Um, for those who are sick, you know, oftentimes I, I talk to ex-cancer patients and they're like, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me, you know? Um, cause it, it was such a teacher for them. Yeah. You know, um, not for everybody, but for, for those who take it on as a way to change their paradigms Yes, and make the things that are more important, important in their life. Um, it's a, it can be such a gift. It can be a very scary, very lonely navigating, right? Like we're a very pro health model. We don't, we hate, you know, our culture doesn't take kindly to sick people. No. Um, and it's, you know, and, and, and I'm always very empathetic with my patients, but it can be such a journey for, truly rediscovering their spiritual component, their community, yeah. their purpose here. Um, and in that way, that's what you were saying is like the spirituality the divine intuition, all that stuff is, is so prevalent. Like in this meditation retreat, you know, such an, I just, I just keep going back to it is when I shut my brain off, the wisdom that comes out is so much more powerful and so much, um, less stressful and all of the little worries that we have consistently that our monkey mind is telling us all day every day to grasp onto this and to you know when we calm that down like that's where the happiness emerges from yeah you know the benefits of like a true meditative practice is phenomenal so yeah i you know i I, i'm curious what people take away from this talk but uh, this is, I think this is why we both do what we do is because it, uh, not only is like the science interesting, right? Like it's yeah. super interesting of like what's going on with all these systems and you do a deep dive and you go into the literature and you understand these components and you can give these certain herbs and minerals and vitamins and sometimes pharmaceuticals, but most likely not. And, um, and then you can restore people and then also help them shift to, a better state because I, as what we first talked about, the state of the world right now is, is a little bit scary. It is. And we, you know, I think this is kind of a perfect circle of like when we tack into that spirituality, into the mindset. And, you know, when I say spirituality, I just mean an inner calmness 
yeah. an inner state of kind of understanding rather than a reactionary state, right? Like when we have like an internal wisdom that we find that leads us forward in life, um, that level of, of, of understanding is if we can find that culturally, we're going to bridge a lot of the negatives of what's happening right now. We're going to reverse a lot of the disease. But I think as much as it's a physiological problem, I think it's much a spiritual problem as well. Yeah. Um, so I think we have a lot of work to do as people. I think if we want to survive, um, you know, I just saw this crazy documentary yesterday where they're giving Coca-Cola to babies in Mexico now. Like, and it, yeah, like same thing. It like breaks my heart to think about that. Like Coca-Cola is literally being, being given to babies in these third world countries and obesity and diabetes is becoming more rampant in these third world countries because Coca-Cola is cheaper than water. God. You know, like, yeah. Uh, like it's crazy. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what, ne- I, you know, I just, I, I want enough community coming together to change the systems at play. Right. So we just got to keep fighting, my friend. I was going to say, that's why we're here. Uh, yeah, this is amazing kind of full circle convo, starting with kind of the state of the world, state of healthcare, diving deep into, you know, the root causes of, of disease and, uh, and then bringing it back to purpose and spirituality, the, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of happiness, uh, the pursuit of unconditional love for self and others. And, you know, ultimately it always comes back to love. You know, love is the ultimate, right. it's the highest frequency, it's the most healing emotion. And so uh, the more that we can pursue love, uh, unconditional love for self and others, uh, raise the vibration of the collective and right. you know get end on a little bit of a woo-woo note yeah. but, so i know you're here for it so <laughs> what an amazing convo but yeah you know it's such an honor to be able to sit down with a, a good friend like you and uh definitely next time we're at the same conference which probably happened another five times this year yeah. hopefully be sure to grab dinner <laughs> The Holistic Savage, my friends. Yes. The one and only. <laughs> um, such a pleasure to be to be on here. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, let's keep fighting the good fight. Um, uh, and yeah, looking forward. Maybe we'll do a hormone round or something in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There will be a round two for sure. Wonderful. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. Such thank a you pleasure. So much. Uh, can't wait to see you soon, my friend. You too, my friend. All right. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye.